Welcome to the San Diego County Bar Association's Meet and Confer, a podcast for the San Diego legal community. I'm Renee Stackhouse, a solo focusing on plaintiff's personal injury and military and criminal defense. And I'm Adriana Linares, San Diego County Bar Association's Technology and Practice Management Advisor. And with us today is Eric Weber, a lawyer, motivational speaker, and avid runner. Hi, Eric. Welcome. And Skybird's coach. And Skybird's coach. Tell us a little bit about Skybird's. Well, Team Skybird's, my mom and I started that in 2017 to give athletes something new, something that was better than what they had. What they had before was uh, not, not really much of any athletic training, but... What they really needed was individualized coaching strategies in a team environment. The team environment gives positive atmosphere for the athletes, and each athlete is able to pursue one's own goals. And I know that the um, this individual training is really important to you. It's been kind of the basis for your success as well, right? I mean, coming up with ways to help individuals succeed. Absolutely. And it's the same philosophy behind why I do individualized education programs, why I practice special education law. There's no such thing as one size fits all. And that's why they call it individualized education program. The IEP has to be narrowly tailored to the student's unique needs. That's really interesting. So can I just back up for just a second? One of my favorite things to talk to lawyers about is niche practices, special areas of law, and especially areas of law that an attorney practices in that they're passionate about, which obviously it sounds like you are. Special education law. Tell us about that. Well, when I was when I was really young, when I was going through K through 12 myself, I had an IEP. I went through that process as a person with autism, and it's rewarding to be able to go back into the IEP setting as an attorney who happens to have autism and help other students get their needs met and help other parents understand what their procedure rights are and what the student's substantive rights are and to be able to train the parents to be Mm. their young loved ones best advocates one of the things i find amazing about attorneys like you and this includes renee and a lot of attorneys that i've spoken to and interviewed is that you're a teacher you and and i and i mean that like you just said it you said it we uh, you know i like teaching parents on how to be their their children's biggest advocates and that must make you feel so good absolutely (laughs) and it's really funny uh after the iep meetings i could be all serious in my on top of my game in the iep meetings very business-like but after the iep meeting to entertain the kids i you know, let out a small burp here and there just to get the laugh out of kids. <laughs> you get goofy. They must love yeah. that. And to be sure, IEP stands for Individual Educational Program? Individualized Education Program. It's Great. under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So what made you decide to go to law school? Was it, I want to help other you know, yeah, humans like me? that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, in 2011, I was walking off of the graduation stage for my master's degree program oh. at FSU in public administration. And my mom thought I was going to go to work in the city council office for a friend, Marty Emerald. So 
I walked off of the stage and I looked at my mom and I said, mom, there's something else I have to do. And that's to help others with disabilities in the context of law. She took a deep breath at first. I mean, it really came down to money. Okay, how are we going to pay for this? But just found a way to do it. Well, your mom is um, one of those great parental advocates too. I know that she's been a great support system for you. And I've got to meet her at a couple of the events back when we were in person (laughs) before COVID hit. And she's just a really super cool lady. Yeah. And I'm the youngest in the family. So I get away with a lot of (laughs) stuff, but I'm the baby. So you got to love me. (laughs) that's a dinosaurs reference it is a dinosaurs reference i was with you on that (laughs) it's awesome this is incredible to me you did a a master's program and then you went to california western school of law right yeah yeah so what was law school like for you well first year is always the toughest is and that turned out to be true the first year they break you the second year they make you the third year they have to take you that was what i heard a lot in california western but it turned out to be true and the students they were a little unsure of me in the beginning because i have autism and a lot of people equate having the disability getting accommodations to oh getting an unfair advantage but that's just not the case what accommodations are about is helping the person reveal what the person's true talents are what the knowledge is and they also found out really quick that i'm pretty smart because they did a comedy talent during a talent show at, on a talent night at California Western School of Law. So you are smart and funny. Isn't that always a great combination? It, kind of is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it really is. So when you went into law school, did you have special education law in mind? Like you said, okay, well, I'm going to go. Oh, yeah. Or did you? Oh, yeah. I knew, okay. I knew right from the get-go after walking off that stage that mm-hmm. I had to do something in disability and special education so what are your favorite things then about, about, I think you mentioned it, you know, that it's rewarding and you like helping the parents, but what else do you love about this area of law? Let's see about special education law itself. I also like going to IEP meetings. I'm not a big fan of the virtual stuff right now. I mean, I am able to pull up some documents on the side on my iPad or yeah. on the side of the laptop screen while I'm sitting and looking at the screen and seeing everybody's faces, but In person, I always found to be more engaging because I could see the person's face and body language and Mm. figure out who I needed to finesse in order to get some concessions out of the school district side of the IEP team. And really, it doesn't have to be adversarial. Mm -hmm. If the parents and the school district can get on the same page with each other, that's so much better than having to go to due process. How do you find the students and the parents? Sometimes it's word of mouth from past students and parents. And sometimes I just bump into people and network in events such as Surfing Madonna Oceans Project. They have a volunteer surf camp for special needs kids every summer. Yeah, you just really have to put yourself out there because that's really how stuff happens. And you're also a, a speaker as well. You, Renee mentioned you give a lot of talks. What are the subjects of those talks and where do you give those? So I do living with autism. I also do writing 
the right IEP goals. That's a PowerPoint oh. presentation. There's taking the lead, breakthrough and conquest. That's a speech about overcoming the fear of failure and turning it into a belief in success. Building champions and chasing victory. And that's a sports speech really mainly a sports speech it's about it's about the three c's uh camaraderie confidence and cohesiveness bringing the individuals together as a team and building team morale in order to find the success find a championship just because you don't necessarily win a title doesn't mean that you're not a championship team but you gotta have the three c's in order to have the championship those are the three prerequisites in order to get there you sound like great talks, Eric. And I, um, I've read some interviews that you've done and I've watched some and, you know, it seems like you really just speak from the heart whenever you give these talks. I'm really impressed with everything that I've seen you do. I am, I'm dying to know what your future looks like. What do you want to still accomplish? You've done so much already. Is there still anything on the bucket list that you want to accomplish? I'd like to have a really good work-life balance, mainly uh, working for an attorney full time, but I want a, I want a supervising attorney who is ethical, who is organized, whose team is all on the same page, and has a very well organized online cloud storage database. I've seen <laughs> in some situations people don't know how to organize folders. It's it's really ludicrous. Tell me about it. <laughs> I think Adriana is is picking up what you're throwing down right there. <laughs> oh yes, she is. <laughs> but mainly uh, ethics, organization, a good work-life balance so I don't go nuts. And outside of all that, that work-life balance has to be there so I can continue to have that time. And I also got to be able to have the flexibility and have the acceptance of the supervising attorney to continue to do the special education stuff that I do. If if the full-time job isn't in special education law, I still got to have that uh, pro bono uh, specialty, that passion of mine. That's why I got into law in the first place. So it sounds like not only do you love the special education and sports, but you are an avid, like Renee said, and an active athlete yourself. How important is running and that exercise to maintaining that balance and not going nuts? Well, I find that my work life revolves around my fitness. And that turned out to be the actual truth when I was taking the bar exam on the hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the three-day, well, I like to brag that I took it when it was the challenging three-day exam. <laughs> I love that. It's bragging rights. Anyway, Definitely. between the AM and PM sessions, I danced Zumba. Really? And that's what allowed me to clear the brain farts out of my head so I could go into the PM sessions and dominate. And dominate you did. <laughs> on the first oh, shot. First try. That's amazing. Let's see. Outside of law, uh, some other goals I have. I want to run the Big Sur International Marathon. It was supposed to happen in April of last year. And then it was supposed to take place, I guess, in November of last year. But nope, postponed again. So got to wait till April 2022. But it's going to be really rewarding to go into that race weekend of 2022 with a vengeance and hopefully get a new PR. And you just made uh you just had a big race that you were telling us about before we started recording. Can you share that a little bit? Yeah, yes. I did the race for autism 54k superhero challenge as they call it. And I did all 54 of those kilometers on April 1st in one day. I know some people wanted to spread it out across April 1st to the 10th, but the first opportunity I got, I 
woke up at about 2.30 a.m. on April 1st, started to run at 3.30 and ran that race in five hours, two minutes, 43 seconds, I believe it was. That's incredible. And I got a new metal hanger real recently. And that one I got from Etsy.com. I got it custom made and it says Night Falcon on the top of it. It's all crafted out in metal. Night Falcon is my racing name. And how I came up with that name, it was inspired by a joy run I took on July 20th, 2016. July 20th is my dad's birthday. He was born in 1949 and I went on a nighttime joy run and saw a a full moon in the sky that was hanging low just above the clouds on the hillside and the clouds were the wings and the body and the moon was the head. So what do you want the legal community to know about you, Eric? If you could share anything with everyone listening, what would you want them to know about you? Well, I'm passionate about special education law. I'm devoted to ethics. I'm also really good at legal research. Hmm. A lot of attorneys hate the legal research, but I enjoy it. And I like to find a needle in the haystack, even if that needle is buried inside of a pile of excrement. I like to go dig it out. <laughs> and you're right. A lot of lawyers don't like legal research. Do the, do Are you for hire for legal research? Yeah. I assume it could be in any area of law. It's mentally stimulating. Yeah, I could see that. What do you want people to know about autistic people? We are people first. And I usually, when I'm in person doing the speeches on living with autism, I tell people about the 10 things I want people to know and accept about my autism without asking any questions. And a few of those things, if I can name them, are, let's see, I'm really smart. Don't underestimate me. Yeah. I have a sense of humor, but you figured out that out, right? That's <laughs> the two or three. And stupid people and whiners test my patience. <laughs> that's number four. I think that's everybody, though. <laughs> and there's uh, the two things I can't live without or got in NASCAR. Oh. And then there's, oh, my gosh, my mom just brought me a changing lanes, but staying on track. That's my second book <gasps> that I wrote that was... Produced in 2012. What? Okay, wait, wait a second. Yep, back this up. <laughs> we need to back on. this up. There's a and first an book and a second book. Let's talk. Yes, the first book is Autism for Dads: The Importance of a Father's Love. Aww. And that one came together in bits and pieces throughout high school and some college, and then it was published in 2008 when I transferred from Grossmont after getting the associate's degree, transferred to Point Loma and printed it in the Point Loma Reaper Graphics Bookstore. And both of the books are in Point Loma's on-campus bookstore. That's amazing. Okay, so the first one is called Autism for Dads, or that's the, the second? of a Father's Love. And oh, that was really important because statistically, about 50 to 80% of the fathers leave the household after hearing of the diagnosis of autism because they perceive it as the loss of the perfect child and they're overwhelmed oh. and... One of my other great passions is connecting with fathers and helping them understand how to come down to the kids level and play together with the kids as the kids, as my dad did with me. Huh. What's the other book called? Changing Lanes by Staying on Track. Your mom's welcome to jump in and join us if there's anything she'd like to say or you want to include her. Give her a quick shout out, mom. 
Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And this is Autism Finance and Ports of Violence Love. And this cover was taken in the by the Koenigsee in Germany, because that's uh where my dad wanted to be buried. And so yeah, he was born in Germany, and that was one of the things that we did in 1999 was we um we paid some honor to him and we did some stuff that we would have done with him anyway because he made some promises to us and my mom sought to make sure that those were kept. So you lost your dad. You don't have your dad. Well, I'd like to think that he's uh, watching over me, especially while I'm racing. And one of the things I love about running is I feel like I'm in control of my destiny. I feel Mm -hmm. one with the road like I did when I was riding on the back of his motorcycle. Okay, here's the 10 things that I want people to accept about my office without asking questions. Number one, I'm really smart. Don't underestimate me. Number two, not being able to speak is not the same as not having anything to say. Number three, I have a sense of humor, but you figure that out, right? (laughs) Number four, stupid people and whiners test my patience. Number five, Two things I cannot live without are God and NASCAR. Number six, we do feel emotions. If we did not feel emotions, why would we scream? (sighs) Number seven, we are capable of learning consequences even at an early age. Number eight, we are able to apply skills in more than one area, memorizing comedy and memorizing academics. Number nine, you have to find a way to connect with us first. Trust is important. And number 10, it is important to strive for excellence instead of settling for mediocrity. Failure is failing to try. I believe in the power of the human factor, which for which there are six dimensions. The first is spiritual capital, the universal principles by which we ought to live. Good. Moral capital is the right and wrong based on those principles. Aesthetic capital is the beauty and ugliness of what we create. Human capital is the knowledge and skills we acquire. Human abilities is the competencies and human potential is undiscovered talent. And it's that talent that we're trying to discover and cultivate so that people can soar with voices louder than words. And then let's just talk real quick to the second book, which was um, finishing the rate. No, staying in your lane. Tell me again. Changing lanes, but staying on track. Changing lanes. Yeah. What's the gist of that book? Well, that one is, about overcoming life's challenges and charging forward. And whatever those challenges are, you find a way to dig down and challenge yourself to push ahead. Be your own hero, essentially. Oh, and this one I wrote in 2014. This is my scholarly writing paper, Home Sweet Home, Fixing Group Homes for Human Beings Who Have Special Needs. Wow. And I went to Sacramento with three different state legislature uh, legislators and before I knew it, the state-controlled institutions were being shut down, and the individuals in those institutions and the resources were being moved to more community-based settings. And also, the paper called for improvement in the quality of training for group home staff members, the increase in the number of hours for the training, and a host of other things, because... About two-thirds of group homes in California are subpar or substandard when it comes Mm. to the quality of care for people with disabilities. And it's really important that people understand that. And I heard horror stories back in 2013 about some 
group home uh, residents who were getting retaliated against if they so much as reported cockroaches running across a lunch table or if they talked about the the shifting of the good food into the refrigerator for inspection day when <laughs> normally the refrigerators would be stocked with junk food. Oh. So, yeah, it just it was just a passion project that it had to do. And uh, this um, photo right here, a uh, couple of these uh, athletes, uh, Colin and Kenny, they live in a good uh, group home. And they are also athletes that I train on Team Skybirds. And normally they would be out at the open space uh, with me. But because of the COVID rules, uh, not everybody has been able to uh, come out. But hopefully that will change really, really soon. So on top of everything you're doing, writing books, writing these papers, speaking, practicing law, you've also been really involved with the county bar with the different abilities group. Uh, what got you involved with the county bar? Well, let's see. Peter Lynch, I believe, was the one who reached out to me. And uh, now it's called Diffabilities Group. I guess it was originally Diverse, Diversity and Inclusion Group, but they changed the acronym. But it's about... It's about uh, helping access accessibility for people with disabilities, that and whether it's physical and or mental or developmental. And it's, it's especially important for people who have disabilities that may not necessarily be recognized uh, right away upon uh, seeing. I mean, you can tell right away if a, a person is in a wheelchair or... Mm -hmm. Uh, has uh, or has muscular dystrophy, but it's it's really difficult sometimes to see a person who has autism because again, uh, there's no such thing as one size fits all. People manifest autism, people manifest developmental disabilities in different ways. I mean, there are some common things here and there, but what people need to realize, especially when it comes to uh, interactions with uh, law enforcement, is that it's really important to take a take a step back and evaluate the situation. And also, it's not it doesn't just fall down to police to have positive preventive you know, strategies for things like that. It also has to do with the public. It also has to do with the community. It has to do with family members. It takes everybody coming together to come up with solutions that improve the prospects in interaction between police and people with disabilities. And I believe that law enforcement is inherently good. It gets a bad rap in the media a lot of times and it's just really unfair. Uh, but there's all there's all there is always room for improvement and a lot of it has to do with the disabilities and what people don't know in the story about Elijah McClain, he there's a teenager who people suspected had autism, but that wasn't initially reported on right away. And I believe if I'm remembering correctly, the officer there misinterpreted his autistic behaviors, like behaviors as non-compliance, as ah. disobedience. It really wasn't. It, it, it was just uh, his way of dealing with the 
chaos of the situation. Do police and officials not necessarily get the training that you wish they got in order to be able to recognize those situations? Is it in Florida? In Florida and Montana, they've been getting really good huh. trainings there. But I would like to see more of it out here, especially in San Diego County. And I have offered it before huh. in the mid 2010s, but it's just been slow in the uptaking for whatever reason. That makes but, so much uh, sense, though. Can I ask a backup question that I found? So, Renee, did you call the section that Eric is involved with the different abilities section? Wow, I really like that. Again, my my personal ignorance. I have not heard that. And that is that a term we prefer over disability? Because disability does sound like it sounds negative sometimes and different abilities sound so much pos- more people, positive. People feel different ways about it. And, yeah. pers- and personally, uh, I prefer to say different abilities mm-hmm. because that's what it is. Uh, you, yeah, you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to let any uh, thing feel like it's holding you back necessarily. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's that's great. I'm going to start using that term from now on. Oh, what was that, Mom? Mom, you're incarcerated. Well, one okay. She, she's reminding me to ask about the importance of finding out how many people in the criminal justice system have disabilities, and that's especially important because a lot of a lot of times people go without being diagnosed uh. sometimes they're not diagnosed until they're they become adults and some just and sometimes it's the sometimes it's the families maybe not necessarily being aware of what the disabilities may be or what the or it might also come down to just being in denial about what the person may be going through. And it's it's not to blame the family necessarily in any way. It's just, it's really about in- encouraging the families to to get help for the loved ones to the, San Diego, California, and pretty much the country in general. Back in the nineties, there really just was not much for autism, not much in the way of resources for autism. When I was a kid, my mom had to come up with her own programs for me of course now there's so many things out there there's national foundation for autism research and that's what the race for autism 54k was for they put on that race every single year normally it would be held as a 5k in Balboa park and hopefully in 2022 i'll win that race in person (laughs) but there's so many there's so many resources there's so many organizations great organizations out there it's just a matter of finding finding the connection finding trustworthy people in those organizations an organization is only as good as the people in it to comment back on what you were saying earlier when people don't have a different ability that is physically manifested it it must be hard and sometimes for the families when they aren't properly supported or don't have the right information to, to yeah to help build them up in the right way. So I think everything you're doing is really, like I said, inspiring and wonderful to hear. And your mom sounds like a superhero. Sounds like you guys are built of a family of superheroes. And um, it's been really an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Eric. Thank you so much for taking the time to help open our eyes more than maybe they they are for some of us. Um, before we let you go, though, tell everyone how they can get a hold of you. Just share your email address if someone wants to follow up with you or hire you for some research 
or put you into their special education okay. law practice? So let's see, my special education related email address that is named after my first book, Autism for Dads, is autism for dads and the number four, autism for dads at yahoo.com. And my personal uh, email that I use uh, for other areas of law for other people to reach me is Eric N. Weber underscore 117 at yahoo.com. Well, thanks for being here today, Eric. It's been a blast spending the morning with you and I hope you have a great day and a great weekend. Well, thank you. Hey, mom, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, mom, hang out with us. (laughs) Hey. Thank you for taking the time to recognize Eric. It's been a long journey. What I was trying to get him to say when he was doing speech therapy at Children's, um, he didn't talk till he was seven. And now it's hard to get me to shut up sometimes. (laughs) And the speech therapist that he had over there when he was five was also working at the jail. She said 25% of the incarcerated individuals had learning disabilities, which they probably were never identified Right. And get the help that they needed. And that still exists uh, in certain cultural communities where it might be a, a shame on mm. them. And so the message that we've always tried to promote is that even though he didn't talk till he was seven, there was a lot going on up here that sure. came out of his mouth. So, you know, parents need that encouragement. And so when they've brought their athletes to Special Olympics or to the young athlete program that I've been running for Special Olympics, and they're sobbing because they think they've gotten this death sentence. And as you see that young man over there playing with those kids, he has autism. And they're just, it gives them hope. And that's really what they need is to have hope because they have to grieve the loss of the perfect child in order to accept the one that they have and to see the possibilities of that person. So that's been my mission. We we lecture at San Diego State. And in Point Loma. Yeah, Point Loma uh, in classes that uh, are about special education or child and family development. I have students assigned to me. I don't work for the school. I just, I'm a volunteer. But I have students assigned to me from San Diego State every semester. And we have them now we, we still kept the program going virtually and um, some they come on, they form relationships. How does a person, a, a teacher, somebody that's going to be um, maybe in preschools or become a special ed teacher, or I have some that have gone on to do um, occupational therapy because of the time they spent with us or grad school or um, social work. One of them right now is is working with families. There's a lot of domestic violence that has increased because of the lockdowns. And I've had the privilege of impacting what is their passion. What do you want to do next? And we've been doing that since 2008. And sometimes we've lectured at USD, particular professors. They know that I've had the program. Right. Can you tell us if someone wants to learn more about the program and you know, where to learn, get more information or how to contact you. And what is your name? Well, we just keep calling you mom. Sandy. Uh, I'm, we, we share the autism for dads email. That's how the professors Great. find us and say, Hey, are you available? And we drop it and, and go. And yeah. we have our own little road show Wonderful. Um, to show, to try to teach some of these 
well, there's about 90 of them at state every semester that we lecture in all of the sections. And um, trying to teach them what kinds of things to look for. It's about observe, 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 observe. And what did you see today? What was, you know, if you worked with this child. And building trust with the athletes. Absolutely. Because as his first preschool teacher who hadn't had any autistic kids before. Well, that she knew of. Yeah. She said, if that child doesn't trust me, I can't do anything with them. So the trust relationship has to be built first. So, yeah, I'm well educated. That's amazing. Um, so that's why I, when we walked off, I went back and got a different master's while he was going to <laughs> get his master's. Lifelong learner family too. Yeah. Well, education's never wasted. You don't know yeah. what your tool bag is going to Can I ask you a question? You made me think, you know, you and Eric are both so open and inspirational. And I just wonder, you know, it's he's he's probably focused on the kids and obviously focused on the parents. But I just wonder, do do you counsel parents? Do they ever feel like it's their fault? Yes, that was part of my uh, when I went back to do um, a different thesis. They didn't have a master's degree in child development. I had started it. Uh, family circumstances back in the 70s. I had to drop it, but I went on and did a PhD in uh, physiological psychology. But I wanted to finish that thing. You know, it was undone. And they didn't have the masters anymore. That was her white whale. Yeah. Yeah. So I did an interdisciplinary studies where I could draw uh, build my own coursework from the special ed department, child and family development, public health, wow. and motivating healthy behavior. And that was the thing that in my thesis, which I also published, had these families that I would, I had a qualitative and quantitative research and trying to get them to open up about uh, what, what their anxieties were. Sure. And, and, how do they heal their own past? Because I had, it turned out I had 12 of my 15 parents who had had some form of abuse mm. in their own life. So they brought it forward. I guess it's hard not to sometimes yeah. without the right. So they had to heal that. Support. Mm-hmm. And they said maybe they felt guilty. They were ashamed. What had they done to make this happen with their child? And so we had time where sometimes I just turned off the recorder yeah. and I let them then. <laughs> well, it's been just an absolute pleasure chatting with both of you. Thank you so much for taking Thank the time. You. And Sandy, Thank it's you. really, I'm glad you hopped on. It's really nice to meet you. Uh, when we started, there were no accommodations um, for for law, uh, the bar or anything. So we have trailblazed. Uh, Department of Rehab now pays tuition uh, for persons on the spectrum to go to college or to uh, vocational school. And they also paid for his third year in law school. Oh, how wonderful. So that door is open for these people. And I keep telling parents, your child does not have to go the workability route. They don't have to be folding towels in the basement of the <laughs> sorting silverware like some of us did in college. Yeah. And they can actually get funding. And some of his friends that were at his school that their families couldn't afford it were then able to get 
into vocational programs. And so that's been, we've been trying to trailblaze along the way. Yale says he's, <laughs> he's the baby. Smarter. You gotta love him. I think I heard that earlier. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's smarter than most neurotypicals because we did the, uh, the employable yeah, documentary in 2018 and they, they put me us. through eight hours of <laughs> or so of cognitive testing at Yale. Yeah. Jimmy McPartland was the researcher doing the study. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I was what uh, I was white as a sheet coming out of it because <laughs> of all the brain testing. And it was, uh, I think they had to prove to themselves that he had autism. Wow. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> You know, so. and then they, along the way, they also proved he's super, super smart and funny yeah. and funny and funny. Yeah. You if, if you check out the YouTube. Yeah, he does. Uh, he does several comedians. And you all have a YouTube channel and several monologues. And do you have and a you. YouTube channel? Eric does. Oh, Eric, Eric what's the Weber YouTube channel? You my have. YouTube channel. I have running videos, speaking videos. I have some Skybirds videos. Eric Weber is the you just your name is the YouTube channel. Is that what you said? Yeah, we all like that. Well, thank you so much, both of you, you for taking the time to inspire us this morning, this afternoon, whenever somebody gets to listen <laughs> to this podcast. It's been it's been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Sandy, for hopping yeah. on Eric. Just a, a pleasure. Well, we've satisfied our meet and confer requirement here at the San Diego County Bar Association. Our mission is to connect lawyers and support their success and fulfillment. And we hope we've done that for you today. You can stay connected with the San Diego County Bar Association by liking and following us on Facebook at San Diego County Bar, on LinkedIn, San Diego County Bar Association, on Twitter and Instagram at SD County Bar. And if you have questions, comments, or ideas for future podcast episodes, shoot us an email at bar at sdcba.org. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Meet and Confer.